Amen. How is everybody? It's good to see you. Um, great to be back with you. I got to tell you, uh, baptism Sundays are my favorite Sundays. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite Sundays as a lead pastor, but um, they're just my, my favorite Sundays. Young and old um, just go public with their faith in Jesus and uh, proclaim that. We get to celebrate it. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. Um, baptisms do not make me yawn. I, I just, I don't get tired of them. If the floor is wet like it is, then it's been a good day. And so um, uh, what I want to do as we move toward baptism is I want to continue the series that we've been working our way through. Uh, it's called Words to Live By. And so if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know what we've been looking at is this idea that all throughout Scripture, there are these words that keep popping up again and again and again. And they're central to our faith. They're central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but oftentimes, even within the church, if you go around and you say, well, what does this word mean? You get this huge variety of responses. People have all different kinds of ideas about what these words mean. And so we just said for the month of August, we're going to look at four different words and just really talk about what those words mean in our faith. And so uh, we talked about the word gospel a couple weeks ago to start out the series. And then last week, our, camp our South Campus pastor, John Gorvette, was here. And John did, John did a phenomenal job talking about the word Messiah and talking about uh, who Jesus is and connecting that to the word Messiah that we hear a lot of times. Today, I want to talk with you about the word peace. We're going to talk about the word peace. It comes up all throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. You just see it again and again and again. And also, it's what all of us want, isn't it? We all want peace. I mean, especially right now. I mean, we look at even just our country and our nation and, you know, the events that happened last weekend in Charlottesville, and there's this, there's this cry in us of just we want racial reconciliation. We want a healing. We want there to be peace in our world. We think about North Korea and the threats and the things that we hear, uh, and, and we think, man, we want peace. That's what we're after. As individuals, as individual human beings in our inner lives, we want peace. In fact, you may not realize this, but there's a huge market for peace, in our world. Did you know that? The latest stats say that one out of every six Americans is taking some form of antidepressant or anti-anxiety med to deal, to give some sort of inner peace. And um, so in a room this large, one out of every six, I mean, some of us, uh, we've already taken our morning dose this morning and our families thank us for it. It's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and so uh, vacations, we even talk about like vacations are a way we seek to get uh, like a sense of peace. And the travel industry is reporting that vacations are costing more. And so what's happening is Americans are spending more and more money, but less and less time getting away and getting a break on vacation. And so oftentimes what, we, what can happen is we can talk about peace uh, the same way that we talk about our cell phone signal, <laughs> right? I mean, you think about it, we, we think of peace as almost like it's a signal that fades or gets stronger depending on where we are or what we're doing in our lives. That's how we talk about peace and think about it in our world. So if I meet someone who's going through a really tough time right now, you could say they only have like two bars of peace right now, right? Or, um, or if maybe um, you're, you go to a church service or you look at a sunset or whatever, you get all the way back up to five bars of peace and you feel better about things in your life. Um, or if you meet someone and they're just, maybe they've just done something that they really regret and they feel far from God and there's all this guilt and everything, they're, they go all the way down to one bar of peace in their life and that's kind of how they feel. Um, so if I were to ask you a question, maybe just to get us thinking, to get us processing this idea of peace, if you were to rate your peace signal today, how many bars would you have? If, if you were to say like, man, on a scale of one to five, you know, 
I, I'm, I'm at five bars a piece. I'm at three bars a piece. Uh, turn, in fact, turn to your neighbor and say, this is the bar. This is how many bars it is. Go ahead, do that right now. You're like, uh, some of you are like, I don't know. I have no idea. I can't look within myself that deeply. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you're just coming back from vacation, and so you turn to your neighbor, and you're like, man, I have five bars apiece right now, and it feels great. But the only reason you're saying that is because you haven't opened your emails from work yet, and that's really why you're saying that. And if I were to talk to you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and I were to ask you the exact same question, you'd be like, wow, man, I lost a lot of bars apiece. But that's how we think of it, isn't it? We think of peace as if it's, you know, like, a, like the same thing as our cell phone signal. Um, and so what happens is things that can affect our peace signal, things that rob us uh, of a sense of peace in our lives um, are uh, these things right here. Change, I would say, is the first thing that robs us of situational peace. Oh, yeah. I, I would call this, by the way, this cell phone signal kind of peace, I would call it situational peace. And for the, for the purposes of our message today, I'm just going to call it that. Situational peace is when the situations of my life are peaceful, then I feel peaceful. I have five bars. When the situations of my life are not peaceful, I lose that sense of peace. That's what I mean when I say situational peace. So things that rob us of situational peace change. Anytime something's changing, even if it's a good change, it disrupts that sense of situational peace. And oftentimes what comes with change is uncertainty. We look at our lives and we go, what if the worst case scenario happens? And you know what? Sometimes it does. And that robs us of that sense of peace that we have. And then lastly, I'd say suffering. Suffering, these are the big three. I bet you anything that you would say, this is uh, what took some bars away from me, I bet you it falls under one of these three categories. And for our purposes, suffering, we oftentimes think of it as physical pain, but suffering defined really is any situation in your life that you have no control over. That's suffering. Any experience in life where I have no control, that, that is what suffering is. So change, uncertainties, and suffering, these are the three things pretty much that rob us of a sense of, of situational peace. And what I want to dive into today is this idea that when the Bible talks about peace, it's talking about something actually completely different than situational peace. Whenever the scriptures speak of peace... It's actually not talking about situational peace, the cell phone signal kind of peace, the signal that fades or gets lost or, or gets stronger. It's talking about something altogether different. Uh, in fact, the word in Hebrew that you find in the Old Testament most often when you see the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is the word you see again and again in the Old Testament. And shalom defined, uh, if I could give you kind of some context for it, uh, go ahead to that next one. It's shalom is entering into a state of wholeness, it's a restored relationship with God, with others, and with the created world. So if you know the story of the Bible, you know it begins in a garden where God's people are his, and everything is the way God designed it to be. It's a utopia where everything is God-designed. And then as sin enters the world, what gets lost, what gets broken, is a, a relationship with God, with other people, and with the created world. And we're still living in that brokenness. And so the Bible speaks of peace shalom, this idea that we can enter into a state of wholeness where, uh, where our relationships with God and others and the created world can be restored. And so for God's people, as you think about the, the word shalom, it's different than situational peace. For God's people, God's peace is something that cannot be taken away from us by any situation. Shalom, as it's talked about, is not something that can be robbed from us by, you know, by change or uncertainty or suffering. 
If you have it, you have it to the core of your being. And it doesn't fade or get stronger. It's something that cannot be taken away. For God's people also, uh, God's peace is not something that we can manufacture for ourselves. This is huge to understand in the Christian faith. Um, Peace is something that has to be acted upon our lives by an outside force for it to be the kind of peace the Bible talks about. It's not something we can create for ourselves or manufacture within ourselves. And this is a major distinction, by the way, from the other major world religions. Uh, My uncle is a Buddhist. And so in in Buddhism, what you do is you can achieve, you're you're taught uh, that you can achieve a sense of inner peace through deep thought, through meditation. And it's not that thinking deeply or meditating is a bad thing to do, um, but in in understanding what the scriptures speak about in terms of God's peace, it's something that God alone can impart to you. You can't achieve it. Other religions talk about a transactional kind of peace where it's like um, if I do these things, if I create these acts in my life, then exchange, somehow the universe will give me peace. But shalom is always talked about as imparted by God himself to his people. We can't make it happen. We can't create it for ourselves. It's something that God alone can give us. And then as you move into the New Testament, the concept of shalom in the New Testament gets transferred to the person of Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament church, after, you know, as you go through the Gospels, um, it's clearly saying that we receive God's peace through the person of Jesus Christ alone. And in fact, in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is most often translated irene is the word. And it's this movement of, from shalom uh, to the person of Jesus Christ. And we receive God's peace through Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Look at a couple of scriptures here together. Colossians 1, the writer Paul is talking about Jesus. He says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. The, the theological word, we talk about this in terms of the incarnation. That God in all his fullness uh, became flesh and dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And the Greek word there for everything means everything, the cosmos, everything in our world. He made, let's say that next word together, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So somehow... Through Jesus' death, his sacrificial death on the cross and his blood that was spilled, God is making shalom with everything, a restored relationship with God, with others, and with the created world itself. And God is doing that through the person of Jesus. Romans 5.1 talks about us personally, and it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? It's not by achieving it ourselves, inner peace ourselves. It's through Jesus Christ. That's how we have shalom. That's how we we experience the peace of God that's different than situational peace. And then Jesus' words himself, John 16, verse 33. Jesus has just walked with his disciples. He's about 33 years old. For the last three years, he's been close with these disciples disciples and he's walked with them he's taught them and he's about to go to his death on the cross and eventually his resurrection from the grave and he says this i have told you all this so that you may have what so that you may have peace in me 
Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Oftentimes, um, someone will come to Frontline and they'll be new and uh, they'll come to this place where they say, I'm all in, and they fully surrender their life to Jesus. And they just give their heart fully to Jesus. And then the next time a baptism service comes around, they, they come up here and, and they get in the tank and they go public with their faith in Jesus. And this doesn't always happen, it, it just, but every once in a while, like a month will go by after that and this, a person like that will call me up and say, hey, I don't get it. Things in my life are still hard. I, I don't understand. Like things are still really broken. In fact, more broken stuff has actually happened since I got baptized, to which I say, yep, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I point them back to this scripture. This is the scripture um, that we talk about, where Jesus said, if there's one thing I can promise you, is that you're going to have trials, you're going to have sorrows. That's what I can promise you. Jesus isn't offering situational peace. He promises, he said, your situational peace will get disrupted, because life is hard, and the world we live is in is broken. But he says that you can have peace in me. And the reason you can have peace in me is because I have overcome the world. You can't overcome the world. I've overcome the world, and you can have peace in me. And this is what Jesus offers us. Um, he doesn't offer that things would become easier, he, but he promises his peace, God's peace, in the midst of it. And so uh, the message this morning is just embarrassingly simple. It's surrender your life to Jesus because he's the only one that offers real peace only real peace we find in this world is in the person of Jesus Christ. And it can only be imparted to us through Jesus, not through some work of our own. And so the question I think maybe we, we immediately want to concern ourselves with is then how do we experience the peace Jesus offers? Because you hear that and you go, okay, yeah, just surrender yourself to Jesus, come to him for peace. But, but then how does Jesus actually offer that? How do we experience that? And so if I could, I want to just take you on a journey of life that all of us go on and maybe put it into some terms that will help you understand. And so I'm just going to give you two words here. This is the journey that every single human being goes on. We start out in innocence, and then we move toward anxiety. Um, innocence is where we all begin, right? When we're born, when we, when we begin our journey in life, we're innocent. We're naive. We have no anxiety because we don't know there's anything to be anxious about. Babies aren't stressed out about very much, are they? Right? Other, I mean, you just feed them and change them and they're good. That's the, that's the extent of how far out their anxiety goes. And so we all start at this place of innocence. Innocence knows nothing about Charlottesville. Innocence knows nothing about North Korea. It knows nothing about rejection and abandonment and disease and prognosis and all of that kind of stuff and death. Innocence is innocent. I mean, people use terms like ignorance is bliss. You've heard that? Of course it is, because it's innocent. It knows nothing of anxiety. But what happens is for all of us as human beings, if we live long enough, we eventually hit a point of anxiety where something breaks down in our lives. Promises go unmet. Uh, we experience suffering. We experience uncertainty. We experience change. And our situational peace takes a huge dive. And suddenly, anxiety is the reality of our lives. And here's what's important about this journey from innocence to anxiety. As we pick up weight and as we carry it, as we go on through life, most human beings are basically spending their lives trying to get from anxiety back to a place of innocence. 
I've met 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. It almost doesn't matter how old a person is. This is basically what almost every human being is trying to do, is trying to figure out how do I go from this place of anxiety and get back to the way it was before, back to a time when it was simpler, back to a time when I had situational peace, back to a time when I understood how things worked and I was happier and, and everything else. This is what most human beings are trying to do. My family and I moved uh, in the month of July to a new home. We sold the house that we've lived in for 13 years, and um, we moved to a new house that's going to suit us, our family, better at this stage of life. Um, and so uh, 13 years in a house, I, I think moving is a really important thing. I think everybody should do it um, just because uh, what it does is it forces you to make a whole bunch of decisions on your stuff. All of a sudden, you have all these decisions to make. What of my stuff, what's going to make the transition into the next stage of life? And what are the things I need to let go of that just have no value or no importance at this next stage of life? You have all these decisions to make. And so old, broken things get thrown away. New things get bought, and you, and you have to figure it out. And so um, in the month of July, one evening, my wife and I, we have four boys. We took our older two boys, and we said, come downstairs to us, or come downstairs with us. We took trash cans downstairs to our basement. In our basement, there are these deep storage closets in the house that we lived in for 13 years. 13 years ago, when we moved in, we had a bunch of boxes we didn't know what to do with. We shoved them in the back of this storage closet. We shut the doors, and that's where they've been for 13 years. We haven't looked at them. We haven't gotten them out. I couldn't even remember what was in these boxes. So we brought the trash cans down, and we said, boys, help us. And our intention was just to throw it all away. We're just going to open it up, see what's in it, and throw it away. So we start getting boxes out. And as we get these boxes out, we tear the tape off, and we open them. And inside, there are photographs, picture albums. Uh, kids, there used to be these things called photographs. You would take a picture, and there would be a roll of film. You would take it, and you'd get these little plastic uh, things called photographs that you could shove in, like, picture albums. These are, like, picture albums from, like, when, when I was a kid and when my wife was a kid. We're, and my boys are just laughing hysterically at us. And I'm, I'm, we're looking at these pictures, and I'm like, wow. Did I really have that hair when I was 15 years old, going through that Kurt Cobain phase? What was I thinking? And I'm just, you know, we're and, uh, and one box, we opened up one box and we found Clifford. Clifford was my wife's little stuffed dog when she was like three years old. So she opens up this box, she pulls out this matted, mangy, molded, like little stuffed dog. And this is literally a Clifford, oh, she like hugs it. Oh, Clifford. We found Clifford. We, uh, another box we opened had uh, some Thomas the Train stuff in it. And my 16-year-old goes, oh, this was my Thomas the Train set. I remember this. He's 16. He, was th well, he wasn't even three. He was all, uh, still two when we moved into that house and put all that stuff in there. And he's like, I remember this. He gets the train out. He's like playing with it on the floor, 16 years old, messing with it. So we just had this incredible night just laughing at each other and just uh, looking through all this old stuff. And when we were finally done, there were the trash cans. It was time to throw it all away. And what we did is we took all of that stuff, we boxed it back up, taped it, and we moved it all to the new house. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did we do that? <laughs> Why do you do that? Why do you hang on to old things that don't have any value in your life going forward? The reason we do that is because we attach memories to these things because at the end of the day, all of us are basically trying to get back to a place of innocence, back to a time in our lives 
when things were simpler. The great Jewish writer Abraham Joshua Heschel talks about how it's not the things of our lives that give significance to the moments. It's actually the moments of our lives that give significance to all the things that we have. So we hang on to things because there's something in us that's trying to get back to a place when it was innocent. We look at our kids and we go, wow, are things really changing that fast? Are, are they really getting that old? Am I getting that old? Is it really time for another school year to begin? Could they really be going into that grade? And so we long to get back to a place of innocence. Or as the great philosophers 21 pilots said, wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. That, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's every human being. That's us. Are you today, as you think about your peace signal, whatever you said, is there something in you that's trying to get back to the way it was before the divorce? Uh, before you got fired from that job, before the fighting started in the relationship, uh, before the disease happened and the prognosis happened, is there, is there a part of you that's trying to get back to the way it was? Here's, here's the message today. If you hear nothing else I say, hear this. What I want to tell you today, if that's you, is Jesus offers something so much better than that. Jesus offers something so much better than just a way to get back to innocence, back to the way it was before. We, we look for all these ways to escape our anxiety. Jesus offers something so much better. Jesus offers a way forward through anxiety to the peace of God that's on the other side of anxiety. And the peace of God that's on the other side of anxiety is what passes all understanding. If we can get to a point where we stop trying to go back to innocence, but we push through anxiety and we find Jesus. Jesus says, I'm here. I have the peace of God that passes all understanding that's on the other side of anxiety. Peace is the innocence that's on the other side of anxiety. Innocence knows nothing about anxiety. Innocence is clueless about anxiety. It doesn't know about suffering or change or uncertainty. But peace knows all about anxiety. Peace understands it well. It's just that it's overcome it. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Because I've overcome the world, you can have peace in me. Uh, this is what the, the writers of the New Testament come back to again and again and again. Whenever you uh, see the word peace come up, you see this journey being talked about. Philippians 4, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, says this, don't worry about anything. Don't, don't sit in anxiety. Don't sit there in the midst of that or try, spend your time trying to get back. It says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, not situational peace. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is able to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can offer that. God's peace is what you find on the other side of prayer as you've walked with God through anxiety, through suffering, through the difficulties of life. God's peace is what waits for us on the other side. And, and 
the power of God, the peace of God, has the ability to rob our anxiety of its power and replace it with something that we can't get anywhere else. Um, baptism. As we think about baptism and where we're headed this morning, uh, baptism is a picture of this journey, actually. So we've used um, the words innocence, anxiety, and peace, but you could use the words life, death, resurrection as well. Um, baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And basically what we're doing, when we go public with our faith before our church community and baptism, what we're doing is we're identifying ourselves and our story with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So just like Jesus died and was buried, when we go under the water, what we're symbolically saying is, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to try to manufacture peace on, myself, on my own. I'm dying to try to get back to innocence on my own somehow. I'm dying to this old life. And just like Jesus was raised to a new life, when we come up out of the water, we're being raised to a new life in Jesus. It's the same life that he offers because of his triumph over the grave. And that's the symbolism. Peace is the innocence that's on the other side of anxiety. Resurrection is the life that's on the other side of death. Resurrection is the life that you find when you move through anxiety, when you move through death, and you find the life that God offers us. Uh, you want to know how good the peace of God really is? There's this peace that we find in Jesus that's so much better than, than situational peace that we could ever achieve. You want to know how good it really is? I, I want to read you uh, a baptism email. Um, so we had a, a baptism service, I think in May. I can't remember when it was. It was a couple months ago. And um, we have people write us kind of like, what does baptism mean for you, people who are planning to get baptized? And so this is a baptism email. I got her permission. Her name is Alyssa Shepard. She's a young mom, uh, wife and mom uh, that, that comes to Frontline, and she got baptized. I want you just to listen to her story in the context of what we've been talking about. Uh, she says this, I have struggled my entire life to really love myself. By the way, just about every woman in our society today could make that statement. I, I've really struggled my entire life to love myself. I used to be full of worry and anxiety, stressing about things out of my control. I have spent a lot of years searching for what I was good at or trying to find my purpose. Two years ago this month, when our daughter was eight months old, my grandmother passed away. I spent a lot of time with her leading up to that day, and I was actually laying with her when she passed. My grandmother's faith in Jesus and the amount of peace she had in her last days was something I have never seen or experienced, but here's the, here it is. But I knew that I wanted that and needed that for myself and for my family. It still took some time for us to find frontline, but I cannot explain how thankful I am. I am always a work in progress, but I feel so much peace letting go of control and giving it to Jesus and trusting that I am becoming the person that he wants me to be. That is a person who has died to the old life of trying to escape back to innocence and is pushing through to find the true Jesus, the peace on the other side of anxiety, the life on the other side of death. You know, that's how it happens for most of us. The way that most of us learn to see the peace of Jesus and know what it is, is oftentimes we see it in somebody else. Isn't that true? 
most oftentimes we, we, it's, it's, we look at someone else and it's like their life is falling apart, but somehow they're not falling apart. And it's because of their faith in Jesus. And at some point we go, I don't get that. I don't know what that is. All I know is I want what they have. I want that. As a pastor, uh, I've been many, many times in, um, in, in uh, rooms where people are in their last hours. So I've been in people's homes when they've been sent home uh, because the doctors are saying we, there's nothing more we can do. Uh, I've been in hospice rooms where the family is gathered for a, a final goodbye. Uh, I was in a hospital room once with a mother and father as they were with their, their young daughter for the last couple of hours of her life. And these are called pastoral visits. That's what, that's what these are called, where you go in as a pastor and you pray and you offer you know, support to a family who's going through death. And here's, you're just going to have to take my word for this. I'm telling you, there is a stark difference when you walk into a room with someone who knows that the peace of Jesus that transcends all understanding, the life that's on the other side of death, the innocence on the other side of anxiety, when you meet someone who has that peace in their life, there is a major difference between them and, and between the people who I've walked into a room like that and they don't have that peace of Jesus. The, and you see it in vivid color in those moments. And uh, I've had what, what I've come to call uh, reverse pastoral visits several times. So I've literally said this to a few of our staff. I've come back from a, a visit, and they say, how did it go? And I say, you know what, that was a reverse pastoral visit. And what I mean by that is I go in because, you know, I'm there to offer, like I come in as the pastor, right? I'm going to pray, I'm going to meet them in their time of need, I'm going to, you know, impart something to them. And what ends up happening is the peace that they have in Jesus just overwhelms me. And I end up walking out of there going, man, I don't know if they got anything out of that, <laughs> but I, I sure needed it. I needed to be reminded that there is a peace that transcends all of our anxiety and passes all of our understanding. I'm telling you, my friends, there is a peace in these waters that has the power to rob death itself. And it can be yours. That's the good news. You can have that too. There is absolutely nothing that would prevent you from experiencing that peace too because it's not something we manufacture on our own. It's something we experience when we come to Jesus. It can be yours. It can be mine. And, and our world can experience that too. Um, so here's what I want us to think about as we move into baptism. Uh, the band's going to come up. And uh, we're gonna, they're going to get in place. And um, as the band is coming forward to do that, uh, I just want to kind of let you know what's happening. We're going we're gonna to stand in a moment, not yet. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And as we sing um, this song together, just responding um, and proclaiming Jesus for who he is, if you're ready to get baptized today, if you've made the plan to get baptized, I would love for you to join uh, myself and um, Brad. Uh, we're we're going to be right down here, right on front on, on this side. And we'll try to stay out of you guys' way interpreting so uh, as best we can. And then uh, um, we're going to sing and, and just kind of gather, and then we'll start the baptisms. And here's what I want to say. Maybe you came here today and you weren't planning to get baptized. Maybe um, you woke up this morning and this was not on your radar screen at all. But as you think about what your peace signal is, um, maybe you're at five bars, maybe you're at one bar, but what you know is it's going to change tomorrow. Maybe as you're sitting here, you're saying, man, it's, I need the peace of God that only comes through Jesus. And maybe um, you've felt the Holy Spirit just tap you on the shoulder and say, today, now, 
not, not wait for it someday else, but I'm ready for that life right now. If you want to get baptized, if you want to do that, uh, you can do that today, right now with us. We had a couple people do that in the first service. Um, so we have uh, t-shirts for everyone getting baptized this morning, just like the one I'm wearing. Don't get baptized just to get a t-shirt. Okay, like, I, I feel like I've got to say that, but hopefully you get that. That's not why we're doing that. The, the reason um, we do it is just to have something to remember the day by, and, and it also to kind of help. If, if you're here today and you're like, what do I change into? What do I do? Uh, we can have, you have a shirt. We have a towels. There are bathrooms over on this side, uh, right on the other side of the, the cafe area that's right here. And um, so, yeah, bring the base, man. I'm, I'm with you. Um, so, uh, yeah. oh, my. Uh, so, uh, uh, this, is, this is a time where we just celebrate new life in Christ and what that means, and we would love to do that with you. And so why don't we do this? Would you stand? And I'd love to offer a prayer for us, and then as we start singing, um, band's going to lead us, and, and you come down if you're ready to get baptized. So, Lord Jesus, we just come before you right now. And, um, God, as all of us just think about maybe whatever it was that we would say is our cell phone signal of, of peace right now, the thing we know, God, for a fact is that that's going to change. Maybe it's good, it could change. Maybe it's bad, it's going to change. But what we long for, God, what we want to chase after is the kind of peace that your word talks about, the shalom, the wholeness, the restored relationship with God, with others, and with the created world. God, we want that that we can only get in Jesus. We want that hope and that perseverance in the midst of a world that is so uncertain right now, God, and that robs us every day of peace. We want the peace that transcends all of that and doesn't deny it God you know denial or escaping or so many things that we do um, to try to get back to a place of innocence we just thank you for peace that doesn't live in denial it doesn't live uh, in, in sort of pretending like things aren't rough but that embraces anxiety because you went to the cross you died on our behalf you suffered and you overcame the grave you embraced all of our anxiety, all of our trials, all of our troubles, and you're doing a new work. There's a new kingdom. There's a new life. There's a life on the other side of death. And so, God, this morning, we want to root ourselves in that. So we surrender ourselves to you. We seek you, God. We seek your peace. We turn away from anything that could hold us back from experiencing that or, or be a substitute for that. We want nothing less than the peace of Jesus. So fill us, God, today as, as we come. Be with those as, as those uh, who are getting baptized today, God. Would this be a moment, a stake in the ground to say, I'm, in, I'm living a new life in Jesus. And there's a peace in my life that I can live into that transcends everything else. This is what we ask in your name. Amen. You can come and join us right here.